Hello and welcome to Touchline from myself, Kasper Els, and Mark Cameron. Hello, Mark. Hi, Kas. Nice being back in studio. More so the topics that we're going to discuss on, and for the listeners out there, we've got a up-and-coming referee that's with us in studio to give us a little bit of clarity on what the referees look at in a game. So, quite exciting. Can't wait. Yes, in the studio we've got with us um, Damien Varney. Damien currently employed at the Sharks as administrator KZNRU, as well as the administrator social media content creator for the Sharks Academy. Damien's also a panel referee at KZNRU. One of the big games that Damien handled was Glenwood versus Maritzburg College, which was aired on TV as well as the United World Games Under-16, the final in Austria, South African Academy squad referee, all in 2019-2018. Welcome, Damien. Hi, Kas. Hi, Mark. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. It's uh, really good to be here. Nice having you. Damien, why, why did you become a ref? Why was your part, or you chose the path to become a referee? I've, I've always had a passion for uh, rugby and it started from a very young age. So I think between the age of about six and seven was when I actually took a little bit of a liking to the laws. Obviously seeing my father refereeing, you know, rubbing shoulders with my dad, coming to Durban, watching the games. And from a nice viewpoint, because he'd always get nice tickets himself being a referee. And then uh, playing rugby through primary school, obviously trying my best and just not getting to the peak levels I wanted to be at. Uh, I had a bit of a crack at it again in my trick, managed to play first team at Richards Bauer School. But that was more, I think, just for the enjoyment, just to get that last little bit out, just to make sure I was committing to the right decision of becoming a referee. And then becoming a referee probably in grade 8, 2014, or 2011, sorry, through 2014 in high school. And yeah, it's, it's just a way that I can stay in the game. Obviously, I'm, a, I'm a quite a small build boy here, so it's, it's the one way I can give back to the game. And then, obviously, being, being a referee and chosen that, that path to go, it's been good to you. Yes, yeah, so far I think it's, it's been a wonderful experience. I mean, I don't think I'd ever have thought I'd be able to leave the country to just go overseas and Europe out of all places. So in 2018, when I got selected to go to the United World Games in Austria, it was a phenomenal experience that was just, you know, forwarded to me by being a referee. And then you mentioned something about rubbing shoulders with, uh, with the world's best. Ooh. Who's those referees? Name oh, the, ref oh, the referees. Perfect. Yeah, no, so obviously working at the union as well and working as a referee on match days, we do get to do duties for all the Super Rugby games, Curry Cup games, uh, test matches when they are in town. So when the referees come in, you know, sometimes I'm the lucky one that gets to go to the airport and pick up the Ben O'Keefe's, the Angus Gardner's, Paul Williams of this world, and then bringing them to the stadium and then just driving them between the stadium and back to their hotels. We'll maybe grab a dinner afterwards, so... Just being able to spend that time with them and just talk about their experience as a referee is quite a, quite a valuable asset to have. Brilliant. I suppose having a look at that, <clears throat> sorry, um, if you always chat with the same referees, then you become a bit uh, withdrawn from what's really happening in the international world. So it's always good chatting to, to those referees that, that are abroad. Um, it's the same as a coach where myself, if you speak to the club coaches the whole time or maybe the Sharks coaches, you don't really learn. And that's how you learn. You might, you might recall an incident where you could possibly ask him a question and he could take you back then. That's why the decision was made. Um, more so at that level for yourself, if you, if you manage to get up there where the pressure is on. So you were talking about Glenwood against Maritzburg uh, Collegians. Uh, or Marisburg College, sorry, um, that for you at that stage was obviously your high-profile game. And these guys do it at a national level, and they can obviously speak back to you and say, this is what you need to look at, or you calm down because you are in charge, and the so on and so forth. So did you obviously learn a lot from that? Do you implement a lot of the things that you, that you speak to them about in your own way of refereeing, build up to the game, fitness levels, and so forth? Yes, yeah, so obviously talking to them helps quite a lot. And uh, I think during this lockdown period, we had about four sessions with even just our local guys, the guys like Yaku Paper, Fanavestes, and uh, Rasta, JD, where they just chatted to us about specific aspects of the game. And what was nice is at the end, there's always that Q&A session that we could have with them. And even just asking basic questions like, what do you feel about a scrum off being pulled into a ruck or a scrum off being 
cleaned out when you're attempting a counter-ruck, sort of just to get a different picture because, as we say, referees, uh, it's a game of inter interpretation. So how I see something may be different to how you see something as a coach, how you see something as a spectator. Definitely. <laughs> so uh, just getting their sort of a painted picture of how it looks to them when they want to make certain decisions and trying to understand that painted picture and bring it in for mm -hmm. yourself and maybe implement it in the game when you get the opportunity. Uh, rubbing shoulders with the high-profile guys actually helps a lot in crafting your ability and your decision-making mm -hmm. to be as accurate as possible. I can imagine. Speaking of lockdown, <clears throat> as a coach, um, obviously during lockdown it was, it was the first ever um, to prepare and to plan for the unknown going forward. So um, as coaches, we had plans in place, conditioning structures and so forth for, for the players to, to do on their own and give feedback and that. In a, maybe yourself now, but in a typical referee's world, how was your lockdown? Um, were you guys also uh, given plans or conditioning things to do and did you guys need to do tests? And, and obviously now we're in the full swing of it. So what was a typical referee's lockdown period like? Perfect, Josh. So I think KZNRU, we've probably got one of the best structures in terms of refereeing management, where during lockdown we had weekly law tests based on the laws in the law book, even just the small technical things like the ground, the ball, time, and things like that. So they'd set up law tests for us to do over that lockdown period, and then as well as arranging, obviously, these meetings with the high-profile referees, and then weekly fitness plans would be posted either by the guys like Archie or Kamal would find something and would have to try and attain certain goals if we had the ability to be able to do a bleep test on a field, get that done, send your score through just so that they could keep in touch with us on a more personal basis. Was that purely to keep in touch or was that to, to um, achieve specific goals? For the referees going forward? I'd, I'd believe that was to achieve specific goals because I think at that stage when we had started with it, no one had thought that lockdown would be nine, pushing 10 months. We'd all thought maybe, you know, a two-month period, we're going to be back. Maybe club rugby won't be a thing for a little while, but we all expected some sort of rugby to take place in the province, and that obviously didn't happen. So I think they were just trying to keep us on our toes for the event that when it happened, we were in a perfect position to manage the game, get on the field and not have any hiccups. And then, and then after, after lockdown, uh, post-lockdown, um, did you guys do exactly the same thing? Was it the same sort of method used to keep you guys occupied or um, in the game? Yes, yeah. So now once we've moved into, obviously, lesser restrictions and everyone's back at work, so it hasn't been on such a high, how do I say, high volume level that it was during lockdown when there was a lot of free time and people weren't at work. But now the, it's become a bi-weekly communication and then just... Fitness-wise, we can sort that out ourselves now with obviously being allowed to go back to the gyms. And But I must say, our president, Kamali, checks in on us quite often. And I do get the odd phone call from him every now and then just to check in. How's the family? How am I doing? How are we progressing? And, you know, what we're looking forward to next season. Can I, can I ask this? Sorry, Cass. Can I ask the, that obviously when you're talking about um, conditioning and so forth, we're talking panel referees. Um, in the union structure, how does it work? You have... Durban rugby subunion referees, you have KZN referees or, or school referees. So the reason why I'm asking that is when you get a directive like this to talk about fitness levels and so forth and you spoke about the laws and cross-checking and so forth, would that have been solely for the panel referees, for the Sharks referees, DRSU, or is it across the board? Yeah, they've been across the board. So we obviously have our panel group on WhatsApp and our panel mail group. So on that group, all the chairman of the sub-societies are part of that group. So when any content was shared, they could filter it down to their sub-union referees. And we try and get everyone uniformed. Everyone's on the same opinion. Everyone's on the same fitness levels. Just obviously we understand that for some guys pushing their 60s that are still just refing for the enjoyment of the game, they're not going to sometimes be able to run that 12.5 uh, unless you're John Cafeteria yeah, from Scottsboro. Who runs probably yeah. about a 13 on a bleep what on a good I, What can I say about the South Coast? <laughs> <laughs> what can I say about the South Coast? No, it's good. And, and obviously when you say that, um, depending on the, on the various levels now, the, the higher you go, the fitter indeed you need to be to, yes. to stick to the game. Hence the fact that you have bleep tests and you have to give feedback and so forth. So after COVID or after the lockdown now, we're in level one. Uh, how often do you guys get together and obviously do you train together or do they leave you to do your own thing but you do come back for testing or how does it work? Yeah, so at this moment we obviously have our, our close friend circle group so you'll see the referees that are training together that like I mean myself for instance Lusanda and Archie and Blake like I see them on a daily basis so mm -hmm. when the opportunity comes that we train, we train together because we're all at the stadium so it's very easy after work to get going. 
but it's all about the referee is a lonely sport so even that running on your own is it's quite important and the guys obviously training at home on their own now there's no sort of group we, we're not trying to bring the guys in at this moment because we're just trying to avoid as much contact as possible especially where we're situated our base will be Kings Park Stadium so a lot of regulations about getting people in and out of the stadium mm. just so just for the club the club referees then do they need to go to the union on a monthly basis as well to do the testing or how does that work? Yeah, so we have a pre-season, during season and a post-season fitness test. So pre-season, you have to run a 12.5 on the bleep. If you don't attain that, then obviously you can't ref any panel games. You, you're not classified yeah. to be on the panel for that season. And then just your pre-season, your, uh, sorry, your, during the season camp, it's more, we'll get a special guest referee in and it'll be a fitness, how do I say, you can refer to it as a camp where we'll get one of the Sharks conditioning coaches in. So it won't be a formal test that, you know, if you mm. fail, you're off, but it's just to sure motivate you, you to, if you've taken your foot off the accelerator, but to just get back into it. And then post-season, obviously, we have our end-of-year function. And before that, it's, it's a nice little get-together for the refs. But the main focus there is getting in pre-season and making sure we're ready to start from the first whistle. So... Other than conditioning in the sense of running, fitness and that, do you need to hit the gym and do things like that? Um, um, looking yeah. at you, I'm asking Yeah, that yeah, question. no, that's a, <laughs> gym's a bit of a foreign object there. I've, I've managed to get back into gym now for the full swing of things, but I focus mm. mostly on cardio because obviously when it comes to running the bleep test and the yo-yo, you want to be running with as mm. little weight as possible. So the more muscle mass you put on, the heavier you become. Mm. So I know pre-lockdown, I was probably about 63 kgs. And then after getting in the gym now, I'm pushing about 73. But you can feel those 10 k's when mm. you... So from a referee's point of view, obviously, the fitter, the better. It's got nothing to do with strength and whatever. So yeah. it's just uh, as long as you can run and keep to the ball, then you... Yeah. Okay. Talking, talking about age groups, you mentioned that you started very young. You started at school to, to, ref, um, to referee. And you just spoke about somebody that's in their sixties that still runs a, a proper bleep test. What is the what is the pathway of a referee? How do you start a refereeing career? And then obviously, where can you go? So yeah, so speaking from KZN, the pathway is obviously to get registered and affiliated to a subunion. So for instance, Durban, anybody in the Durban area can just contact Henny. Henny will get you into the meetings and he'll explain to you, add you to the mailing group, how things work from here on. You attend that first meeting and if you're a beginner to the refereeing scene, they'll have a beginner's course. We normally have them about February as Durban. You get on that beginner's course and then after the beginner's course, you start running a few games touch, just getting the feel for things. And then once they've seen enough of you, they start giving you games. Obviously, they'll start you at under 14s, under 13s, just so that you can build a bit of confidence because it's, it's quite intimidating getting on the field. And then you do sometimes get that superstar that, you know, you see him ref one under 14 game and you think, you know, listen, he's, he's, he's got the talent and you start putting him in a bit more pressure situations to see if he can swim a bit in the deep end. And then moving up from there, you become a panel referee, obviously, KZN look at you, they come and assess your games. Obviously, you've got your local Durban assessors as well that send reports through to KZN to highlight prospective referees. Then from the KZN panel, it's, it's, it's a bit of a... A tough ask, but to get on the SA panels, because, I mean, if you think of it, there's very few games in South Africa. And, I mean, if you've got 40 referees, you're going to have about 35 unhappy on a weekend when they're not mm -hmm. refing. So it's, it's a very small group to get into, but it's, it's not impossible. Can I ask then, just on that, uh, obviously referees are very few and far between, more so nowadays. Um, I'm not talking quality referees. I'm talking club rugby, various divisions and so forth. So is there a limit in age that one feels, I'm assuming from a, from a refereeing point of view, there is, because you can't have a under 14 youngster or under 11 youngster refereeing a game. So what is the, what is the limit in the, in to start off with? And you spoke about 60-odd just now, so good grief, Gus and I have, a, I have an opportunity. Yeah? Um, you can still but, <laughs> but from a youngster's point of view, if, if I was a youngster and I, and I knew that I won't make it, in, in whatever the level is, but I've got a passion. I'd like to give back or at least grow in something. How old? And you spoke about contacting in, and yeah, I mean, any if you can just give us the details for the listeners for them to to maybe make contact with someone. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So we're looking for uh, guys and girls, even about the age of 16 years old. They'll start with running touch. Obviously, not getting onto the field just as yet because. I was very lucky in my stage before these regulations came out that now you have to be 18 years old because in the event that something happens and it is the referee's fault, 
you have to represent yourself in court and you can't take a 14-year-old or a 15-year-old to trial because they... Underage. Underage, yeah. Mm. So yeah, Henny, you can contact at uh, durbanrefs at gmail.com. That'll be durban, D-B-N, refs at gmail.com. And then he'll put you on the right track, get you on the mailing list, add you to the WhatsApp group and all the communication from there. It's, it's quite simple. We'll have a monthly meetings also at Kings Park Stadium. It's normally on a Monday from about six o'clock after work. And then, yeah, we come in, discuss a bit of law, discuss a bit about what's coming up this week, and then appointments get sent out to the referees. So can anyone apply, or is there any criteria? Just the age? Yeah, just the age. So 16-year-olds wanting to come run touch to get a feel for it, see if it's something they enjoy. And then from 18 years and onwards, you'll find yourself in the middle of the park. Perfect. Thank you. Then your path into, into Sharks Rugby or KZN, um, as a KZN employee, um, you came through the academy. Tell us a bit about your path through the academy and yeah. No, I, re- I remember it quite clearly. So in 2017, I had just finished up at the academy. It was my final year, and I- I'd really wanted to stay in the system. And at that stage, I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. I was just on the panel, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I was living in Toti at that time as well. So I was, I was contemplating, do I have to go back to Richards Bay now? Like, have I accomplished? Toti is a place. <laughs> <laughs> have I accomplished what I wanted to? And. I just, something just came to me and I asked Bert and I sat in his office one day and I said, do you think there'd be an opportunity for an internship here just to, you know, learn the ropes a little bit, help him out from a refereeing aspect? And he said, yeah, you know what, let's, let's go talk to Jafta at that stage. And I remember walking into Jafta's office thinking, you know, you're going to sit down, you're going to ask and he said, you know, I'll get back to you. And I remember, yeah, walking out of that meeting, the last thing he said was, yeah, we can make it happen. Uh, we'll draft up a contract for you and then we can discuss on Monday what your roles and responsibilities will be. And I think I was very privileged in that instance to walk in, ask for a job, and immediately just get told, listen, there's, mm-hmm. there's something for you here. Worked as an intern for a year, and after that, some space opened up in the academy as well. So then I doubled up now. And from last year, I'd been employed between the KZNRU and the academy, working between both, uh, both departments. Having said that, Gus, <coughs> he, he downplays a few roles. 2018, I think it was, when the Sharks Youth Clubs hosted the interprovincial tournament here in KZN for the first time. He was, I can't remember your title, director of referees or whatever. Yeah, I think it was like the referee coordinator for um, that tournament. At that tournament. So he had all the referees in that specific provincial tournament reporting to him and he had to get all the guidelines and everything sorted. So as young as he is, as young as, as he's been involved or as few years that he's been involved in the setup, he's actually achieved quite a bit, and I see he didn't put that as part of his CV for some unknown reason, um, uh, but I mean, that in itself speaks volumes of the pressure that there is to ensure, yes. because we had we had local and and uh, other provinces referees there, if I'm not mistaken, so you had up-and-coming ones, but it's all provincial games, you know, from under 13, I think it was, right through to under 18. Yes. And I mean, that in itself speaks volumes, and, and, and great for the union, Sharks Rugby Union, to open something like that to create a space for a youngster coming up and taking him forward. But then also the the fact that you've gone through the academy and you came out as a as a KZNRU panel referee um, shows that the the academy is not only there for for players. Because I think a lot of people has got the perception that the rugby academy or the Sharks rugby academy or any rugby academy is purely there for rugby players to come and play rugby. And, I mean, you prove that it's not true. That's not what it is. Oh, thank you, Anna. I think I was part of a very good group back in 2016 when I had started. So we had about four or five guys that were part of my refereeing academy group, all students with me as well. And I think of that four or five, four of us ended up on the panel Four of us ended up at SA Rugby's academy squad. So we had a very good structure with Blake. Blake, phenomenal. I think he's a walking law book. You can ask him anything. He'll turn around and he'll quote word from, from the law book straight. And I think, you know, it's, 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 it was a very good platform for me to start off with because I was probably a very, very terrible referee until I had arrived in Durban. It just opened up my eyes to a way in which to referee because I used to fire from the hip. Penalty is a penalty. And, you know, to walk off the game, 36, 40 penalties per match. And I'd learned in my time at the academy when not to blow the whistle and when to just let the boys play a bit. A club like the Mums and Toti Rugby Club that's got this focus on development and, and we've clearly stated that development is throughout rugby. It's not only as rugby players, but as rugby officials, as referees, as coaches. Would you recommend 
the Sharks Academy in any one of those pathways to any youngster out there that still doesn't know, really know what they want to do. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And then especially in terms of what many people don't actually know is we also have a soccer academy. And our soccer academy is actually quite successful because you get a lot of the PSL clubs that scout a lot of our players out of the academy. A few of them ended up in America now as well. So it's, it's, it's a broad option to get you anywhere in sport. And even if you're not sure with what you want to do, we do have a gap program available now where we do basic skills, such as you take you to George Campbell, you do a bit of welding, and you just learn basic day-to-day skills. But until you've realized or you've thought about what you actually want to do, what you want to study, you know, it's, it's a good option for you to still play your rugby or your soccer or even become a referee in that time and spend a year to make up your mind. But other than that, I mean, the academy is not only soccer and rugby. I mean, there's tertiary education there as well. So as he just they mentioned... Can, they can welding, study, welding. other than that, they can study at the academy in marketing and Education in management well. and wherever. So it's not just welding and things like that. So you have, you have kids that, that uh, I, had a, I had a player that only came to the academy, no studying or anything just to focus on his rugby. But, I mean, that's not the be-all and end. A lot of these youngsters that come through there don't make it, but they leave with a diploma or a degree. Um, things like that. So I think it's it's more it's more than just looking at it to say it's a rugby academy. Yes. Now those those students that come to the academy that wants to become something other than a rugby player or a referee or a coach, um, do they still go through all those training sessions in the morning? And um, yes, yeah. So the rugby players obviously they'll tackle their rugby training sessions in the morning, and then for us as referees, would either split off with Blake and go and have a referee review session, or would get on the field and actually ref the academy practice. And then the soccer, which is headed up now by former Bufana Bufana goalkeeper Wade Duplessis, yes. he's uh, he's in charge of the soccer, so he does the skills with the soccer guys as well. And also other options that we have opened up is a coaching option as well. If a youngster wants to come in and learn the ropes of a coach, you know. You'll tail the likes of someone like Donald and just actually get a feel for what it's like to be a coach and obviously see if he wants to pursue that further. And obviously we've got the gym facilities available. We've got probably world-class strength and conditioning coaches as well. So for any parent out there that would like to, to look at the academy as an option for their children, they can look at more than just a rugby player. More than a, just a rugby player, or, yes. a, or a rugby referee or a rugby coach. They can look at whatever they feel their child can and and should be um, sort of like later on in life. Later on in life, yes. yeah. Because one one thing I'll say is one sort of term I really enjoyed at my time at academy wasn't that we're not going to make you a professional sports star. That is up to you. You've got to work hard. You've got to put in the mileage. But one thing is we make professional people. So by the time you leave the academy, you'll have a lot of knowledge, and by then you've got your degree. You've backed up, and without trying to toot my own horn or anything, yeah, I'd come in at the academy, wet behind the ears, you know, walking in there missing your parents, first time you've been away from them for 18 years, and to manage to be where I am now within the structures of the KZNIUN Academy, it's, it's phenomenal. But I also think what's important is the fact that the brand speaks for itself. Yes. I mean, we have followers worldwide. So, I mean, when the Sharks go and play in England, for argument's sake, a pre-season game, there are so many followers. I mean, they've got their own supporters club worldwide and that. So, regardless, a lot of people, that's how it works, unfortunately, we'll have youngsters coming through to the academy where the academy coaches don't think these kids will make it. But because of the brand and whatever, and they play club rugby at a high level, they apply overseas. We've had how many kids coming through the academy that wasn't seen by KZN or any of our local provinces, but they've made it overseas and uh, by virtue of going through the academy. So I think it's a, it's, it's a wonderful place to go to, a wonderful place to, to start as a stepping stone. And then just to add on to that, um, if we can... If we can just ask that, uh, obviously, we, we spoke about the referees and, and who to contact and whatever. So if, if I want to send my son or I'm listening now and I'm a youngster in school and I want to join the Sharks Academy, how do I go about it? What do I do? And I'm excited to go, but I need to apply somewhere. So Perfect. Yes, yes. So we've got our online website where you can actually apply into all your information, which is uh, sharksacademy.co.za. Uh, otherwise, you can also make contact with uh, Monique at sharksacademy.co.za or Annaline at sharksacademy.co.za and they'll just direct you into the right track. But even if you type in the Sharks, go to the website, you'll see there's an academy drop down and you'll be able to find us there as well. And then a last question. Where do you hope to be in the future? Where do you want to end up as Damien? 
that's that's something I ask myself almost every day now because you know I have I come to that realization that refereeing may not go where I wanted to go and you know I'm in such a great position at the union now will will I eventually be of a higher power at the union because I mean I love the brand so much that you know I could see myself working there for the next 20 30 years just because of the environment that we're in the culture that we've developed at the Sharks it's it's phenomenal so a, a tough decision is is going to be made in the future whether we're going to go and try and push for that SA rugby referee or are we going to stick back in the comfort zone here at the Sharks and, you know, push to be an established person within the organisation? I think either way, um, rugby would benefit from from having you as a as a referee. And, you know, just some advice from an older guy is not to not to close the doors before they before they've opened. Um, you're still young. You've still got like most. The referees, up and coming referees, you know, when the opportunity is there, then one should take it. I think the the union that you are part of now obviously knows what, what is in you and they would obviously look after you. And <clears throat> knowing a lot of them from working with them in the past as well, they would welcome it with open arms for you to go because ultimately we are here to serve rugby and rugby would benefit. So um, you have how many of our quality referees around the world that have now put back into into coaching maybe or into refereeing, coaching the referees um, after retirement. So you're still a youngster, so I'm sure you will still do well in, in South African rugby, let alone Sharks rugby. Oh, perfect. Thanks, Mark. <laughs> Damien, thank you for that. Um, some very interesting insight into, into your world in the Sharks and the Sharks Academy and refereeing at the Sharks. Thank you. Oh, perfect. Thanks, Gus. Then we move on to the Carling Curry Cup that started this weekend. Uh, we've seen DHL Western Province 20, Vodacom Bulls 22, Tafel Lager Griqua 17, Zerok Lions 20, Celsi Sharks 45, Pakisa Pumas 10. Mark, your views on this one? I must admit, I think, I think going to the Western Province Blue Bulls game... Um, I think that would have probably been the the game of the of the weekend to to look at. Um, I don't think it lived up to expectation. My my take on it, um, the Bulls, yet again, my opinion, weren't as close to where we thought they would pitch um, compared to their previous games. When they really started playing was when one of their players was red carded. Obviously, then the tempo picked up and they they had to come from behind. Um, but all in all, I, th I think it, was, it wasn't a, a nice spectacle, a typical North versus South derby, um, South African rugby. And, uh, you know, one can say what we want about the Bulls. I think they are, they are well coached. They believe in themselves. Um, you could see that when they, when they got a red card. I think it was quite early in the game as well, if I'm not mistaken, or early in the second half. can't really remember now. But um, for large parts of the game, they played with 14 guys. And yes. they... You can see they are confident side. They they know where they're going. They know what they what they need to do, and they, and they back themselves. You know. So, um, and then looking at the Tafel Lager Griquas game in Xerox um, Lions, similar. I think I think you know Griquas Griquas haven't really hit their straps the way we know they can play, and they played at home, um, so they kept the Lions busy. Uh, which we know they normally do when, when they play there. But, you know, they, they also, and I say this with utmost respect, if you look at the bigger unions, you've got all the name brands playing for the bigger unions. These guys have to step up to the plate week in and week out. They have to keep on fighting. And I think the coaching, the Durban coaching staff that are there are actually doing quite well with, with the Griquas, you know. So And, and you know, they for years, for years, Griquas have been there and there about. They've upset a few teams in the, in the Curry Cup before. Um, and and may it last may it last for a long long while. Then just lastly, the sharks. Pumas. Pumas. Um, look, if you if you look at where the sharks have come from, um, I think we did well. I think, but one cannot underestimate the weakened Pumas side that that arrived on our shores, and I think maybe the scoreline could possibly have been slightly different. Um, maybe not as not as large as as the scoreline is there because the Pumas were depleted. Um, so were the Sharks with the, with the odd player not available. Fair enough, yes. but I think a lot of 
Puma players weren't available due to injury and, and all the other protocols that were involved in that. But from a Sharks perspective, I mean, great to start the Curry Cup like that. Great to be on the front foot. Um, we, we were top of the log until the Bulls beat the Stormers, um, or Western Province, sorry. Um, you know, but we, we top there. And, and Sean is obviously going to fight hard, and we've got a young team coming up. So, you know, and I say this with respect as well, if we, if we, we want to. But if we don't make it this year... Um, the next two, three seasons, we're definitely going to be a force to be reckoned with because we've we're got good youngsters coming force. through. Um, the other thing that, that stood out was the second game now that was called off because of weather, the Krikwas-Lions uh, mm. game. Mm. Um, going into November, late November, December, um, this is our rainy season and you can expect games to be stopped because of of lightning and thunder and the rest of it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the last thing we want is for a player to be struck by lightning. Um, you know, it's not it's not good for the game because how do you promote it? Because, you know, as yes. coaches, we say snow, rain, thunder, doesn't matter, we, we train. Um, but, I mean, thankfully, there, there are people out there that, that look after the players. I mean, the call was made when it was a few k's out already to say it's there. So when it was one k out, they said we had to go back. Yes. And then... Uh, Damien, you might come in here now. Um, I think the call was made. It had to be further than 14 or 15 k's away again prior to going back onto the field. And you only had a certain time. I think it was 30 minutes or so yes. before that call is made. So just from a refereeing point of view, um, obviously the referee is in charge of that. Players, I can understand this, but they do it at coaching. Coach, I'm scared. I'm scared. You, the referee, in charge. No, you need to stay. At that level, you have sponsors and television rights and all of that. So I think there's more pressure on that. So obviously the call doesn't come from the referee. Someone else in the in the yeah. stadium says so something. So the referee will obviously be focusing on the game, especially when it's a game of such high magnitudes, being a TV game, being a Curry Cup match. So you do have your sideline manager on the side of the field that will be measuring this. And he is marked up to the referee. So he'll make the call to the ref and say, listen, we've got to get off the field, head off into the change rooms. And then as you said there, we, we had that little time window that we had to abide by in order for the game to restart and obviously we needed the Thunder to be quite a while away before we came back in case the wind swirled sent it back but uh, yeah play safety obviously took preference there utmost respect to the referees and obviously the teams for understanding the situation but like you said you didn't want to have a bad incident that negatively impacted rugby as a whole if I can ask there sorry Gus if I can ask there let's say it was a final and I know the the rules the tournament rules would obviously come into play um, but as a referee you need to make a decision. There, I'm assuming, when you are asked to, to leave the field, you do not have a choice. You need to go off, I'm assuming. Yes. Um, so, But if it's a final and it's a, it's a touch and go, uh, as a referee, would that cross your mind or it doesn't matter because player safety comes first um, and whether you take the field again after that's just the luck of the draw or not, um, the referees coming into that maybe is a decision Let's put it this way. I'm trailing with one point, and as you give a penalty to my team, right in front of the poles, you get called to go off. So I am still in a position where I could win the game, but now I go off. So would that not influence your decision at all? I don't know at all. So if I get the call from the sideline to get us off, we go off. And possibly in the event that it is a high magnitude game, like a final, you might find that there will be a greater time window open okay. to restart okay. the game. Because I think the issue here with this game as well was also the fact that you had the Bulls-Western Province game kicking yes. off TV straight after that. So there had to be a cut-off time because I think in that stage it was very early in the second half. So that would have overlapped, that would have delayed the second Correct. game because of, like you say, TV rights. Okay, okay. So there's a possibility that uh, the tournament rules might be tweaked slightly just to allow you to play, and even if it's just for that penalty or whatever. Yeah, because okay. according to law, anything that starts, so if the second half kicks off and we have one second in the second half, if the game gets called there, that result stands. So it would have to be a little bit of a, I'd say, a boardroom discussion whether we're going to replay or restart. So just for the for the listeners then, you, you're talking like that. So obviously if the game is called pre-half time, then it's a draw. Uh, doesn't yeah. matter what the score is. Correct, yeah. Okay. And then where do you restart when you restart? Mark just had the scenario, pictured the scenario about you having a, uh, or, or you get a, a penalty right in front of the polls and you've got an opportunity now to win the game. 
Where do you start? Do you uh, start with a kickoff again, or do you start with that penalty? Yeah, we'll start where we ended. Yeah, start so start where we ended. Where, where we called it, we'll head back in, and that's the next play And that's play where you there. start. So you'll start there with a kick. Yeah, and then obviously if it was general play and we came off for a general play, obviously team in possession, we'll award them a scrum where we had stopped, and then we'll play on from there. Um, just something interesting after the game, there was um, Rulof Stroeli uh, doing that interview and actually said that everybody's looking at the safety of the players and the people on the field. He says their biggest worry was the, the cameraman and the, and the support staff because those guys are standing there with electric wiring all the way around them and it's electrical and e electronic equipment and they're actually more exposed than the, than the players themselves. So it was quite interesting when he said that it's everybody around the field and not only the players on the field. Everybody just focuses on the players and he, he just painted a bigger, the bigger picture. picture there, yeah. and, and strangely enough, he also said that it wasn't just the, the officials' decision to take the players off the field. They were consulted prior to the call to bring them off the field. Both of them, the president of the Lions as well as the president of the Chikwas. And both of them had to agree that should they not restart play that that will be the score that stands yeah i think that with them that's where they came in i don't think they had a decision whether they should or shouldn't come off the field it's just the restarting of it and what the point allocation could possibly be but i mean even so i think the tournament rules will depict i mean if you and i stand yes. there and debate it doesn't really matter because we agreed to the tournament rules prior to going into that game or prior to the tournament starting so um, I also think, I can't remember if it was in that game because I think there were two games this weekend that was called off. So I'm not sure if it was in that game and you were referring to the camera staff and the ground staff yes. or whatever. In one of the games, there was actually a player that was injured and all, I don't know if it was overseas in the international rugby now, um, the players ran off and the medical staff were still attending to that guy that was lying on the, f on the field with a stretcher and a little cart and everything. So wild thunder was going on. So... Yet again, player safety and like, like in COVID now, all the medical staff that, that risk their lives to save someone, that's their responsibility. And, and you are 100% correct in what you're saying that Rudolf Stroyli said as well, and, and good for him. Um, a lot of times we only mention players and yes. referees. We don't look at, our, look at the background staff and people that put their lives at risk to save the other people. The interesting part was that he... He took the focus off the referee because everybody looks at the referee and he now made a decision to get everybody off the field. And it's, it's not his decision, purely or purely his decision. It's a call from the sideline that says you need to get off the field because it's, it's getting dangerous now. And then the union presidents or the union representatives also get in, involved and they get consulted and they're part of that decision. Although it is the official's responsibility and they make the decision, the unions are consulted and, and, and they part of that decision. So it's not purely on the referee. But that's why it's good to have a guy like Damien in to, to speak to the listeners. So, you know, even as a coach, a lot of times you have a look and you sit there being biased because you only look at your side and the referee is wrong. Um, you know, when they, are, when they are taught how to ref properly, they are even taught um, to stand in a specific... I hope you would do <laughs> it properly, <laughs> No, I'm saying properly because yeah. we all want to be refs, but these guys, these guys need to stand in a specific spot on the field. Let's say it's, it's Team A's ball. He has to be either on Team A's side or on Team B's side, but where he can see. You and I don't know that. So a lot of times he's standing on the opposite side and an infringement happens on this side, and we go, look at that referee, you can't see what's going on. Or how can he make a call standing on that side? Meanwhile, the touch judge is the one that told him this and uh, this is what happened, and he goes according to the touch judge. So it's important, and that's why it's good to have uh, a person like him in so the, the listeners can understand where they come from. Talking about that now, and we go to the, if we go back to the red card that was issued, Damien, I'm not going to ask you whether the ref was right or wrong. No, no, let's that ask I'm, him. <laughs> that, that I'm not going to ask you. Whether the ref was right or wrong is immaterial now. Uh, Just a bit of insight. What, what goes through a ref referee's mind and, and, and what are you what are you trying to f to work out and figure out to make a decision like that? Before we go there, sorry Gus, can you just for the listeners just explain um, that specific incident and was the Bulls game I think that you're referring to the red card? Yes, can you explain it Mark? You've, <laughs> okay, you've actually you. watched <laughs> the game. <laughs> <laughs> okay, put me on the spot. So, so uh, 
it was obviously the game between the Bulls and uh, Western Province at Newlands on the weekend, where the Bulls... Front row. Front row. Lock, um, sorry, I forgot his surname there for a second. Uh, we wrote it down, yeah? Um, in any case, the Bulls front row player came in for a tackle and it looked as if he hit him on the shoulder and obviously there was other contact later on. Um, and it was early in the second half, if, if I remember correctly, where the Bulls had to basically play with 14 men. If you look at it from a from a spectator's point of view, people would say it's not recordable. Um, and we will allude to another game in the same weekend where, where New Zealand and Argentina were involved, where it was a, it was contact to the head where it was a yellow card. So um, just to set that that tone, tone and and Jake White. In his in his own right, addressed it this week as well, and, and said that obviously for him as a coach, it wasn't red guardable. But yeah, you know, as guys said, if you can just take us through to what you guys look at and why why there's 50-50 decisions that might go either way. So as as referees, we we've got a sort of a baseline now when it comes to foul play. So we sort of work our way down instead of working ourselves up. So we'll see foul play. You'll immediately label that as a red card, red cardable offence. So we'll start at a red card. And we have a process of elimination starting to work down to a yellow card. And then if it's not a yellow and we're not happy with a yellow, if we come down to a penalty only. So that's sort of like our guideline is we get on the field. If there's foul play, let's just say, for instance, it's a shoulder to the chest area. Uh, there's no attempt to wrap. You know, it was half force. So what we'll end up doing there is obviously we'll start at a red card, realize it wasn't toward a danger zone. The force was still high, so I can't downgrade to a penalty, but I'll stick to penalty yellow. So it's just about getting that guideline. So we'll always start with the maximum sanction and work our way down just based on the facts of the incident. So, so in that, in that um, do the referees listen to the TMO and is the TMO's decision final or can the referee override it, if it makes sense yeah. what I'm asking? So according to the law book, the law book clearly states that the referee is the sole judge of time and fact and fact of law as well. So with regards to the referee, the referee obviously makes the final decision. The TMO and the assistant referees are there basically to assist. So they, I think last season they had started it where the referee will go to the TMO, but he'll first state that, you know, on-field decision is a try or on-field decision Correct. is a yes. forward pass. So that was just to start the, the process and get the ball rolling that the referee is saying, listen, I just want you to look at it, but this is my decision and this is mm -hmm. how I feel it went. Obviously, if it's something clear and obvious, like a forward pass, and you'll say, listen, you did a water try, but there's a clear forward pass. That information gets given to the referee. The referee goes, cool beans, forward pass, we'll go back. Or, listen, stick with the on-field decision. It was was accurate. There's a, there's a lot of times that the referee will say on-field decision is, for instance, a try. But have a look at uh, specifics. Have a look at the forward pass or have a look at um, in front of the kicker or, or whatever it is. The TMO then, is he only going to look at that or can he go and look at something else and then say, but... There was something else. There was a forward pass before the guy was in front of the kicker. Can he actually advise yeah, so, that? So the main priority there for the TMO is obviously to listen to the referee's signal. So look for the forward pass. So you'll find most of the time when it comes to an instance like that, if it's in front of the kicker, we'll have a look at the in front of the kicker motion, and the very next thing we'll look at will be the grounding. So it's just to clear those two things. Instead of playing an entire replay, and then he, yes. he looks, oh, okay, no, he was pulling him back, or he was holding. So foul play can obviously take preference. So... If, you know, there was a, no, he wasn't in front of the kicker, but one of the guys had pulled back, you know, then the TMO can step in and say, you know, there's foul play. So me as a TMO, I can step in and say, there's foul play. This is an additional sort of aspect to what you have asked me. Then I can step in. But otherwise, you've got to listen to what the referees asked for and then just provide feedback, therefore. So just to come back to the player in, in, in question was the Bulls prop, Jock van Royen, that was red guarded. Um, and... If you, I'm not sure if you if you looked at it, so I don't want your opinion whether it was red carded or not. Um, just one of the laws, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, is is direct contact with one's head. Is that an automatic red or not, or is there still questions around that, or I just want to go? Yeah. So the the head, I think Boxmart used the the term uh, the head is red. Yeah. So anything towards the head, obviously, you know, you take a bit of common sense approach to it as well. If there was very minimal force, you know, if it was just a slight contact, wasn't dangerous, you can use that as sort of a mitigation to get down and lower your sanction. But anything with force to the head is is a straight red. And advice that I'd normally give to referees is when it comes to player safety, player welfare, especially in dangerous situations, I'd rather have to explain to myself why I'm giving a red card 
and you know the player may get injured therefore instead of just saying listen I gave a penalty but uh, he ends up in the hospital with probably a brain hemorrhage if he takes quite a bit of a quite a knock so I'd always mm -hmm. overreact in a situation rather than underreact and the reason why I'm asking that is referring back to the Bulls game now um, they they wasn't well for me as as a viewer there wasn't clear and obvious physical contact with the head up front because you know their shoulders obviously collided and then the arm came yes. across and depending on which angle you looked at you could they could possibly be head clash or whatever so in the previous games in the in the autumn series um a guy came in for a tackle and they actually collided and they hit the heads no, and the guy was he was given a he was given a card so to me now as a coach i would throw my toys out the card because it's not a high tackle or anything just just part of play then I would refer you to the Argentina-New Zealand game. Um, and the reason why I asked clear contact with the, with the head, um, Lomax from, from New Zealand, he came in to clean at a ruck and with a stiff arm, and he hit the guy with his forearm on his cheekbone. Obviously, the game was stopped there. TMO came into place. and in that instance, he was given a yellow card. So if you are saying that a red card in theory or a direct strike to the head is in theory a red card and then you work your way down, would they, would they then have thought in that specific case that there might not have been intent or it wasn't that hard or whatever as to justify a yellow card? Yeah, so given, given that breakdown, like I said, we start with the red and then you know start petering your way down to a yellow or penalty only. So you probably would have looked at a situation and said, listen, cool, there was contact with point X of the body or point Y of the body, but we'll work our way down due to the mitigation that there wasn't much force or, mm. you know, he had slipped into contact and the players hadn't come off uh, sort of in a bad situation. Yeah. Just think from a, from a spectator's point of view, Cass, it makes it, it makes it very frustrating if you have to look at a game and let's say South Africa play New Zealand for argument's sake. And one of our players slightly high, it might not even be to the head or whatever initial contact and so forth, get a red card and then you watch, let's say, New Zealand, I mean, England play France, and a worse tackle than that, this guy will come off with a yellow card. So from a spectator's point of view, we don't often understand as to why and, and what happens. So, so even the guy, just to, to come back to refereeing, um, the Lomax from New Zealand that, that got the yellow card, obviously he could still be sanctioned and it could be overturned into a red and suspended, not. Yeah, like I think if you recall probably the 2009 British and Irish Lions uh, series where Skulkberger had eye-gouged and, you know, it was picked up on the day, the assistant referee flagged it. And I think the very next test match, the British and Irish Lions actually eye-gouged, but it wasn't taken up by mm. anybody. But the Judicial Council had actually spotted that incident, cited him post-match, and obviously he served a suspension. So there is that Judicial Council that even post-match, even if there was a yellow or red card, they still relook at the incident they send a, a mm. sanction to the player to, to appear before a hearing and just plead his case as well. Do they look at only certain incidences or do they do they look at the, the game as a whole yeah. and, and pick out certain... Yeah, so they look at the game as a whole, so they watch the entire match yes. and then they'll obviously have an application or even if it's just a book, pen and paper where they'll note certain time, time stamps. They'll go back to those time stamps post-game and just have a look, see if they want to cite that incident or if it was, uh, okay, the referee's on-field decision was sanctioned enough. You know, I just think that I think there's still a still a very grey area in between what's right and what's wrong. I mean, if you look at the Bulls from a from a neutral point of view, looking at the game, one would think that the Bulls could have lost that game due to a decision like that. Whether it was right or wrong is immaterial. Now, let's say it was wrong, a wrong decision, they could lose that game because of that. Um, whereas in another game where he should be sent off, you could also lose that game because now all of a sudden you're playing against 15 where it could have been 14. 14 yeah. So um, I think at the end of the day, there's still quite a bit that, that needs to be cleared. But, you know, as the rugby evolves, so do the laws. I mean, they changed yearly. You guys come up with a few new things. Um, but one thing that is clear, that is, that is very important, is the fact that we need to make sure player safety comes first. And, uh, you know, it strikes with the head. That's why it's so good now to see them going for checkups and that if it was a hard collision or that and some of them don't come back so I think it's great oh perfect just a random question quickly Damien yes we've spoken about the referees now I just want to go back to right in the beginning is there a maximum age that somebody can become a ref 
Uh, no, we don't have a maximum age, but it just boils down to obviously your physical ability. And just to see, like, I think when I'm 70 years old, given my current diet, I probably won't be able to I get think off the you, couch. I think you would be able to gush as well. No, I don't think I will make it, definitely. <laughs> Especially if there's bleep tests. I think if you guys recall, probably Durban's chairman from a while back, Tiens Dutoy, he stays yeah. on the bluff now. So he still yeah. gives back every now and then. I've, I've had the privilege of having him run touch for me a couple of times. I think he's good on in his 70s. But he only gets there when the game is finished. Tiens. <laughs> <laughs> So, thank you for that. Then, going on to Pro 14 and Top 14, another two games postponed. I see they, they call it postponed in the Pro Pro 14. Um, are they going to play those games? Will there be time to play those games, or are they going to be cancelled somewhere along the line? I think it's difficult with them because uh, post-COVID lockdown, uh, when they started... Now they they implement normally they play once a week so it's either Friday or Saturday possibly a Sunday. Um, nowadays they play midweek games as well. So to to reschedule the problem with this is there's not only three or four teams playing. You have like 14 teams playing. So one team has to have a buy every now and again, and then you need to the the two unions need to agree to a timeline. Um, but you might play two tough oppositions either side of of that specific game. Um, and there's protocols, so you, the, the international country, wherever you are now, let's say it's England for argument's sake, they have protocols for their national players that they can't play all the games. So it makes it, it, makes it very difficult. But I mean, as, as a coach, you'd like to play and hopefully win that game sooner than get a draw out of it. Yeah, but then also, if you talk about the bars and they're going to play in the bars and they need to, to, to reschedule when they both got a buy to go and play, then, then it becomes a... A bit of a, a tough one to do. And you can't have these players play a midweek game and a, and a weekend game. It, uh, it's just not look, feasible. The, the possibility of both of them having a bye at the same time is it's very limited in any case. It, I don't think it impossible. will happen. So it just makes it difficult, you know. So And more so if you've got, if you've got certain timelines where that specific competition, like uh, come back to South Africa now where we played in Super Rugby, unlocked and then we had to go into the curry cup now we're referring to the sharks and the stormers games we're referring to the lions and the pumas so we can carry on the cheetahs cheetahs are still saying it cost them the the super rugby unlocked yes. because i think they were affected twice um, and there's just no time so it's not as if the competition the rules were right we finished now and in two weeks time the next competition starts for that it's just a week after that it starts so it makes it difficult well looking at the southern hemisphere now if you look at the southern hemisphere we we basically got two factors to contend with. The one is now being our, our rainy season and the and the weather and the lightning. And then we've got COVID that also uh, hamper us in in our games. Luckily for the for the northern northern hemisphere, they are in their winter game or in the winter season. So they don't have the the weather to contend with. But the difference is, and that's why you see so many games being postponed and that COVID plays a massive role there. It does. Because it's winter time there, by us it's summer. Um, and obviously COVID is driven by, by cold and, and, and things like that, you know. So I think whichever way, even South Africa's side, I mean, obviously our weather plays a part now. But even so, because the guys are playing together and they virtually stay together, hence the fact that there's so many COVID incidences here too. So... It's a bit tough, it's, but it's it's a new norm for us, and and I just think it's great that we can play rugby. But then just to touch, I just want to actually ask you guys a question. Yeah, um, I'd gone through Rugby Three Six Five this morning, and I'd seen uh, John Dobson of Province uh, making a claim that you know the team who's responsible for the cancellation of the game should actually lose the points, and the team who's obviously not able to play should benefit from it because they hadn't crossed the laws. So I just want to find out by you guys because. I think it's it's a bit of a tough one because I'd agree with both sides of this argument that you can claim that it's your fault the game's not taking place and it's also not our fault because we, we didn't ask for the COVID. We spoke about it last week that in Europe there was a, a, a proposal made that there's a specific scientific formula to to work out who gets, gets what. As it stands now, it's seen as a draw. And both sides get their two points, and that's done and dusted. Um, I actually mentioned that it's it's something like a Duckworth-Lewis system, that you you work it out what the impact would have been for the 
the site, like the Cheetahs, Mark mentioned the Cheetahs, that had a chance of getting into the final and the Lions being responsible for the, for the cancellation or the postponement, in, in that case now the cancellation, what would have been that impact and work out the points then according to that formula and then award those points. So should it then happen that the, the Cheetahs then gets four points for that game and the Lions only won because of the Cheetahs' chance of actually getting to the final at that stage and where they are on the log at that stage. If they then, at that stage, would have been bottom of the log and there were no influence on that game for them to be there, then call it, call it quits. So my, my suggestion would be then to, to have a look at something like that. No, I think it's I think it's easier said than done. I think there's there's more to it than it that. Is. I mean, if you you can go to the Autumn Nations Cup now, where Fiji haven't played a single game in the whole tournament, and part of their ruling is the team that withdraws gives away five points and twenty eight match points, if it makes sense. So you you lose your game by twenty eight nil. So both Italy and I think it's France benefited from that, um, but they came into the tournament. With, with COVID cases, and I think two weeks ago they had 29 cases within their camp. But I, I look at it slightly different to say it's it's very difficult to pinpoint as to where that positive COVID case came from. So for argument's sake, the Sharks play Cheetahs the weekend that passed. Next week, the Sharks need to play the Stormers in Cape Town, and we played in Bloemfontein this past weekend. The Sharks are disciplined, so they don't go out, they don't do anything, they know what they need to do via the protocol, but one of them picked it up on the aeroplane coming back. How do you penalise a team for sticking within their COVID rules and regulations to such an extent that they... It's not the Stormers' fault, don't get me wrong, but it's not the Sharks' fault either, except if Damien, for argument's sake, was a player there and he decided he's going to go out drinking with his friends and he comes back positive different story. So I think it's a, it's a vicious circle. I think it's all a professional setup in any case. So um, I understand where they're coming from because it's obviously uh, we need to win and we want to be up there and the Stormers have everything to play for because Newlands is closing. So they'd like to play in the, in the final. And yes, it's two different competitions now, but they carry their points with them from, from Super Rugby Unlocked. Um, but I just think it's, it's very difficult, you know, and one can start looking at it if if a union is tested positive twice in a competition or three times in a competition where the others aren't, then maybe there's a, there's a problem there. I mean, I look at the Sharks. When the Sharks start the training, um, and Damien can, can verify this, they, there was no admin staff allowed in, in the union. They all had to work from home. So the players couldn't all get together in any case. They had to work in pods. Um, they were screened, and that's a normal thing. Yet the Sharks couldn't feel field aside, you know, and, and obviously other than the playing side of it, it's your sponsors and, and so much more. I think this that. is a this is a point we can debate all yeah, night. For long. We can carry on with that for, for long. Thanks for keeping us busy, Damien. <laughs> then Autumn Nations Cup, Ireland twenty three, Georgia ten, France thirty six, Italy five, Wales thirteen, England twenty four. And now I see that France, England in the final, and Scotland, Ireland playing for three and four. Yeah, because they played in two pools, so obviously France and England won their respective pools, and then Ireland and Scotland ended second in their respective pools. So that's it's great, and I think probably the two teams that are in the final are the two that played the better rugby. Having said that, I think England were a little bit un undercooked this weekend against Wales, and I say it with respect to Wales, Wales haven't really hit their hit their form yet, um, and they kept England kept England busy this weekend. But yeah, let's let's go to the so-called smaller unions in Georgia. Um, Georgia, I think, had a phenomenal Autumn Nations Cup. Um, you know, they they are the new kids in the block. They came in. It's a, it's a Six Nations plus, obviously themselves and and Fiji. Um, and if I look at if I look at the way they play, I mean they are robust, they are physical, they're passionate. 
Um, they kept England busy in their first game. England only really won the game in the second half when they played against them. Um, even on this weekend when, when they played you know, against Ireland, I mean, if you look at the scoreline and their coach said he wasn't happy with that, but f uh, the Georgians were just physical team. They, I mean, the one try that they scored was as if it's a guy from New Zealand that scored that try. So they, they're good players. And well, it's, it good, it's good for the Minnows doing this now, going into the next World Cup, and, and giving them the confidence to actually go to the next World Cup and go and play. But they got they, their benefit is that they, <laughs> similar to South Africa, similar to all the other countries in the world, they, they don't necessarily play in Georgia. So they play in France and in England and all over, and that's where they learn. But it's great yes. for a smaller country. To, I mean, Ireland, Wales, England, those are top nations. Um, and, to, and to look, obviously, they, they got beaten. Um, but it's the way they, they got beaten, you know. So um, I take my hat off to them. And, and may, as I always say, may it last a very long time and may they, may they step up to the plate. I can tell you now, and, and bless uh, Franco Smith at Italy, I would love to see a Georgia-Italy game um, because I think yes. there would be a surprise. <clears throat> Definitely. Then going to the Tri-Nations, <laughs> Argentina, New Zealand. I just want to start out by saying that um, I take my hats off to the New Zealanders for the respect they showed to Maradona, um, presenting Argentina with a jersey with a number on there, signed by all the, the All Blacks. Um, brilliant gesture. I think I agree with you 100%. Um, I didn't even think about them going that route. But having said that, I think it played in their favour as well because the Argentinians are very emotional people. Um, I think New Zealand were clever when they batted like that because the Argentines had already said they're going to be playing for Maradona and to do a gesture like that would obviously add to that. And we all know if there's too much emotion in a the game, then you're out of it. And unfortunately, uh, the Argentinians were out of it and New Zealand had to prove a point. Having said that, Argentina made a number of changes to their side as well. My initial take on that as a coach, I think they... Where Ledesma is not is not a stupid coach. Um, obviously, they got um, the ex Wallaby coach on their side as well. My take on it was that they would try and get a point against New Zealand, and then beat Australia because they, I think they think they can beat Australia. Hence the fact that they made all those changes. Came back a little bit to bite them because they didn't get a point at all. But I th I think that's the way they went. But I think the the emotional side got to them a little bit, and just by them, New Zealand presenting their jersey added to it, I think. I mean, beating Argentina 38-0 after losing to them two weeks prior to that, they had a, pro a point to prove. Yeah, yeah, look, they said all along that if, if it wasn't a favourable decision at the end of the game and a decent score, then the coach might go. So I saw him saying in the paper he's got a another few months as a coach there because they're only playing in a few months' time again and it could, could possibly have been his last game. So there's always pressure at that specific level and, and rightfully so. New Zealand are a proud nation and I mean they're not world beaters for no reason, although we're the world champions. Mm -hmm. um, they're not world beaters for no reason and I mean they, they are the team of the decade so um, good for them. Yeah, and I think you summed that up uh, quite well there Mark. They, they're world beaters. I think even if you go back slightly just to that Chasing the Sun documentary after we had beaten them in Wellington in 2018, they made us go play in Wellington again because they had a point to prove they want to beat you. And I think losing to Argentina for the first time in their history, the country, the country was probably in mourning after that. They, they needed to beat Argentina. And I think you know, maybe it wasn't the best idea to go in with 10 wholesale changes because as Argentina, this is probably the best opportunity you had of winning a continental championship. Mm. I mean, if you had won the Tri-Nations... I mean, people would be talking about it for years. It would be like when Leicester won the Football League in, mm -hmm. in England. So I think Argentina dropped the ball then by making those wholesale changes. I think a more fatigued Argentina team against New Zealand, or against Australia, sorry, would have been much better than copping out a so-called B-side against New Zealand to save for Australia. But look, just the nature of the competition make, made it difficult for Argentina. I mean, New Zealand and Australia played two games, in theory, two games before the Tri-Nations even started, as a Tri-Nations for New Zealand to be free to go home. Um, and, and I say this with utmost respect to, to Argentina. Um, for them to play four top games 
in consecutive weekends where both New Zealand and Australia had time off, um, they would never have made it in any they case. So, um, and, and I can understand what the coach was trying to do there, though. You can't, you can't expect those top players to play weekend after weekend against a New Zealand and an Australia and perform the way, the way they did in those first two weekends. You, it's just impossible. But give them credit. I mean, they're on their way up. They, they've played yeah, doing phenomenal well. rugby. And, a 38 0 score with a B against, side. With a B side against Basically. New Zealand is, is good going. Is absolutely brilliant. Look, after they've beaten them, they probably underestimated New Zealand as well. I, I, I don't yeah. think as a coaching staff would have sat down and said, "Right, we would have taken 38-0." Um, I think they would have they would have bargained on at least getting a bonus point out of it. So within seven, I don't think they realistically would have thought that they could score four tries against New Zealand. So their defence held them in in the Tri Nations so far. Um, and but having said that, you know. Argentina were under pressure. They, they they turned over a ball and was intercept try and so on and so forth. And all those little things count against you where it didn't with the previous sides. But let's judge them come this weekend when they play against Australia for the reasons why they made their changes and let's see how it goes. And hopefully um, they can pull this one off. It would be a successful tournament for them because if I'm not mistaken, I can't remember now, but I think they would actually end second and that would have been the highest place for them in any case in, in all the championship and now tri-nation. So, and it's great for them. It's very good for them. And I, I think it's very good for, for World Rugby as well. Gentlemen, thank you very much. I appreciate your input. Um, Damien, thank oh. you. Thanks for all your input. Sorry, thanks, Gus. Thanks for having me on here. Only a pleasure. And then I would just like to thank our Water sponsor, Mr. Jock and Frederick Blichnert and Oasis Water. Mark, thank you. Thanks, guys. Nice being here and nice having some fresh prepared water to drink in studio. And nice having you in studio, Damon. May uh, our paths cross again and, and you'll definitely be contacted to come and join us in studio again. So oh. and all the best for you and going forward and your aspirations and where you want to go and obviously to the Sharks and our CEO and all the planning that goes ahead. So um, from Touchline, thanks for joining us. Oh, perfect. Thanks, Mark. It was great. Thank you, Damien. Thank you for joining Touchline from myself, Kasper Els and Mark Cameron. Have a great rugby week. <laughs>